Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. The episode you're about to listen to was originally featured as a video on the IA's YouTube channel, IA London. But we've taken the audio and we've turned it into a podcast so that you can listen on the go. Enjoy. I'm very happy that uh, this idea of this conference materialized um, because it's uh, it's very important to look at uh, digital competition, or at least the issue of antitrust those days with this intellectual framework and have also some reading uh, of uh, some very important uh, economists. So today we celebrate this uh, 20, 75 anniversary of Hayek's lecture on uh, the meaning of uh, uh, competition. And um, the question is, uh, what have we learned from this uh, question of the meaning of competition? Well, actually, uh, Hayek in this lecture and in his, in his research, uh, mostly, uh, debunked the concept of perfect competition. He said, like, basically, perfect competition is neither feasible, neither practical, nor desirable. And um, we can say that, I uh, used to say that Perfect competition can be said to be the enemy of good competition. The real good competition is imperfect competition. And I think um, a lot of economists uh, would agree with that. But as we celebrate the 75th anniversary of, of Hayek's lecture, uh, we moved away from this dichotomy of between perfect competition and imperfect competition, what Hayek describes as the two meanings of competition, and we have now before, before us, and that's what I'm going to argue uh, in the remaining uh, minutes, uh, we have uh, before us two meanings, not a, not a competition between perfect competition and imperfect competition, but we have two meanings of dynamic competition. What I'm going to argue is that we all talk about dynamic competition, and yet we don't have or we don't agree on the very principles or on the very premises of dynamic competition. Because there are two meanings of uh, dynamic competition. There's this dynamic competition as we may understand it as an evolutionary process, or dynamic competition as it is perhaps personified by American neo-Brandesians or some European auto liberals as dynamic competition still with the assumption of perfect competition, with, with perfect competition as a benchmark for the view of dynamic competition. And I'm going to try to uh, demonstrate and illustrate uh, the, uh, the way these two meanings of dynamic competition um, contradict one another and how this, the case, the neobrandesian case of dynamic competition still use perfect competition as a as a benchmark. So um, Hayek was very, uh, very instrumental in debunking, as I, as I just said, the, the, the view of uh, perfect competition. And Hayek carefully ignored uh, in, in his research and in his meaning, uh, in, his, in his lecture, uh, another Austrian fellow, uh, who is, of course, Joseph Schumpeter. Uh, he, throughout his, his research, 
he ignored perhaps the, the thinker of innovation and the, the, the one who uh, coined the term of the girls of creative destruction. And it's strange because um, this uh, Hayekian and Schumpeterian point of view both agree on the fact that perfect competition is not is not possible and is not desirable. Uh, if you, for example, you read uh, Hayek, when he said, like, Hayek says, we should worry much less about whether competition in, in a given case is perfect and worry much more whether there's competition at all. And Schumpeter would say, perfect competition implies free entry into every industry, but perfectly free entry into new fields make Make, may make it impossible to enter it at all. So they both agree on the, the very fact that perfect competition is the opposite of competition. It's not something that we should strive for, but it's the opposite of uh, competition. With this perfect knowledge, homogeneous good, and the lack of market power, the lack of profit, the lack of ca innovation capabilities, the lack of uh, abilities for entrepreneurs to really innovate under perfect competition uh, assumptions. So why is Schumpeter important to prolonge and to think about uh, competition? Well, it's because uh, this Hayekian and Schumpeterian uh, nexus is very important because Hayek and Schumpeter, in some respects, disagreed on, and on many uh, respects. Um, one aspect is perhaps the bigness, or what has been referred as network effect or scale effect. Uh, clearly, Hayek uh, favored smallness of companies, and uh, it didn't really perceive the necessity of scale or, or bigness, whereas, of course, Schumpeter uh, clearly um, emphasized uh, the need for bigness and scalability of firms. Also, uh, Hayek didn't consider that much the incentive to innovations. He was very much like the market and not entering into the incentives of the entrepreneur to innovate. And Schumpeter uh, clearly emphasized the need for preserving the entrepreneurial incentive to innovation. Also, Hayek very much um, favored, or at least uh, advocated for a market structure that could be considered as more dispersed and uh, more atomized market structure, whereas Schumpeter was very uh, was very uh, fine with uh, imperfect market structure, where uh, few firms dominate the market. And finally, uh, they disagreed on the law, where Hayek saw a much active role of antitrust laws, uh, rather than um, where Schumpeter looked at some monopolistic practices and saw that as a key or as an element to uh, competition through innovation. So to, to conclude on, on, the, uh, on the distinction between Hayek and Schumpeter and why both are important and how both complement one another, is Hayek perceived uh, competition as a discovery process, whereas Schumpeter uh, perceived competition as a disruptive process. Um, both emphasize the evolutionary nature of competition, the time dimension, so that's why uh, competition analysis cannot be static. Uh, but Hayek emphasized the importance of knowledge, whereas uh, Schumpeter emphasized clearly the importance of innovation as part of 
competition. But if you took this Hayek and Schumpeter nexus or uh, together, at least they both made a clear case against perfect competition, and none of them uh, agreed that perfect competition was the ideal, ideal con uh, conditions for uh, competition. And still, uh, we have before us everybody speaking not about perfect competition, but about dynamic competition. So in that regard, IX was uh, successful in making this shift between perfect, comp perfect competition and dynamic competition. But when American neo-Brandesians or some European older liberals speak about dynamic competition, well, clearly they don't speak, they don't understand dynamic competition the way Hayek or Schumpeter would have understood uh, dynamic competition. And so why is that? I mean, I'm going to try to um, to articulate the fact that these assertive antitrust enforcement that we see use cleverly, uh, use the word of dynamic competition and this uh, dynamic analysis with perfect uh, uh, competition assumptions. So, for example, we talk now about the harm to innovation, right? Uh, there's no harm to uh, consumers, or there's harm to innovations when rivals are prevented by some firms to innovate. But these questions of harm to innovations, of course, allude to the, the, the idea of counterfactuals, so that we can measure the counterfactuals and we can know what are the counterfactuals. And this harm to innovations that are claimed by uh, rivals may lead to some rent-sinking activities. And we see that, for example, in the intellectual property right, where some um, rivals or some, some, some companies may use uh, friend commitment and may use some um, legal strategy to uh, have a better access or uh, have uh, better protection under the law because they claim of uh, harm to competition. Also, uh, there's this idea of regulating gatekeepers. Uh, that's the, the more uh, the modern view of looking at antitrust. But get, what is gatekeepers? What is what are those digital uh, uh, digital gatekeepers? Well, basically, they are not uh, dominant companies uh, because if they were dominant companies in their market, then we have this concept of dominant position. We already have, I mean, in, in U.S. antitrust laws, in European uh, competition laws, we obviously have this concept of dominant positions and abuse of dominant positions. So it must be something else, right? Otherwise, traditional uh, uh, competition law will apply. And, and that thing is that a, a, a gatekeeper can be a company that is not dominant in its own market. So you will start um, regulating through antitrust even less dominant or non-dominant uh, companies as soon as they are considered as, as, as gatekeepers. And this is with the benchmark, with the idea that we need to have a better competition or at least have this perfect competition in mind where the slightest um, use and enjoyment of market power is already too much market power and we should trim down uh, market power all also of those companies that are not considered as dominant under European and uh, US antitrust laws. So this idea of gatekeepers is also very, um, very, very uh, problematic in a sense that 
There might be uh, intermediaries, uh, intermediaries with a known uh, market power, and uh, still you will regulate them uh, under these uh, perfect competition uh, assumptions. Also, very interestingly, uh, when we talk about uh, this assertive antitrust enforcement, clearly there's this view of moving away from the consumer welfare standard, uh, which has been key to antitrust enforcement uh, for the last uh, decades, both in the US and, and in Europe. And why is this move away from the consumer welfare standard? Well, again, it's under the name of dynamic competition or, or protecting the competitive process, as the, as the neo-Brandesians or other liberals will argue. Um, by protecting the competitive process, you move away from the, from the consumer uh, welfare standard to look at harm to rivals, harm to innovations, these harm to the market structure. And so you end up having this idea of whenever rivals are harmed, then that might be uh, antitrust enforcement. But to think so, to think that innovation or disruptions or the behavior of some companies may lead to a harm to the competitive process, uh, well, may, le may lead and does lead to preservation of the market structure. It does lead to the preservation of, of a specific market structure, which is not even monopolistic or not even oligopolistic, but at least the preservation of the market structure that is very atomized and which is the idealized view of the market. Uh, that is something I think very, uh, very important because basically we, we, I mean, the assertive antitrust enforcement policies wants to intervene in order to protect the competitive uh, process, which is itself a preservation of the market structure, which is itself a return to the old structuralist approach, which has been precisely debunked for a number of years, if not decades, with the consumer welfare standard, which was an improvement uh, of antitrust enforcement. And also in order to, interestingly, uh, we've talked about that uh, these, uh, today, uh, all these regulatory proposals, uh, in order to protect competition, or at least the competitive process, dynamically, neo-Brandesians come up with some ideas uh, that we've, uh, we've uh, neo-Brandesians, also other liberals with the Digital Market Act, to shift antitrust from exposed judicial enforcement to ex-ante regulatory proposals. And, and this is all done under the name of dynamic enforcement, of dynamic competition. You uh, prevent anti-competitive conduct to emerge even before they ever emerged, right? So you regulate the companies with, their, with this incipient doctrine so that just perhaps as, is, as, as, as in, the, uh, in, in the movie uh, Minority Report, you sanction crimes before they ever materialize. And, and these, uh, <coughs> these proposals, these regulatory proposals are made under the name of preserving the competitive process. And uh, this, this notion of preserving the competitive process is with this shift from exposed judicial enforcement of antitrust to exante a regulatory proposal is what I call uh, a precautionary antitrust. Why? Uh, basically because all the elements, all the philosophy of the precautionary principles are found in those regulatory uh, proposals 
of exempte regulation in the Digital Markets Act, in the House antitrust bills, or also in the um, Digital Market uh, Unit rulemaking uh, power that is now uh, looming. Well, first, we talked about that today, but the reverse burden of proof, right? So it's the, 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 the merger or the practice is illegal until proven harmless. Uh, and you're guilty until proven innocent. So it's basically a reversed banana of proof. Uh, you also have the absence of efficiency justifications. So these are, I mean, these regulatory proposals suggest a number of blanket prohibitions without any justifications, without efficiency uh, justifications. So even if there's no harm, there will be regulation in a very precautionary uh, logic. And, and finally, you have this idea of regulating before the harm arrives, this, all this timely intervention. You know, the antitrust, we need to take antitrust away from the court. The judicial enforcement it takes too long. By the time uh, you sue a company and by the time there's a decision, uh, the market has sh changed dramatically. So lawsuits are inappropriate for those markets. Therefore, there needs to be a regulatory interventions before harm or anti-competitive conduct uh, may ever arise. And this timely interventions uh, um, uh, notion is, is precisely what is at the heart of the precautionary principle. You do intervene before the harm arrives. And of course, with a reverse banana proof, you do intervene, and it's the innovator or the entrepreneur who has to prove the, 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 the opposite. And that is, uh, I think, very much like I think the, perhaps the end of antitrust because uh, you will have less lawsuits, you'll have less judicial enforcement and more regulatory uh, uh, application of uh, some competition rules and with the risks of, um, of regulatory capture and with the diminishing undermining of the rule of law and all these um, principles that are very important as part of the judicial process that you have less as part of an administrative uh, process. So the assertive antitrust enforcement of today is taking the rhetorics, the language of dynamic competition uh, in order to impose a view of dynamic competition which very much take the assumption of perfect competition, well, at least try to achieve perfect competition uh, without uh, clearly uh, saying it. So this is uh, very looming. We see it everywhere. I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the Digital Market Act, but also in, uh, in the US with the House antitrust bills, also the Section 5 of the, F of the Federal Trade Commission is going to be used in order to impose these regulatory proposals. And of course, the Digital Market Unit in the UK uh, will impose uh, these, uh, these new rules, uh, which uh, somehow are a, po a power grab uh, from the, by the agencies uh, from the parliament. Uh, if there's some regulations or legislation to be passed, perhaps the parliament is more uh, appropriate uh, to pass some new legislations and new rules to competition uh, because it's a democratically elected body. But so the other meaning of, co of dynamic competition is precisely to see, to, to see dynamic competition from a more Schumpeterian point of view or more Hayekian point of view, which emphasize the evolutionary process of dynamic uh, competition. And this dynamic competition is precisely what we need. We need more disruptions, more innovations, also to contest 
the power of incumbents, to contest uh, the ability uh, uh, to, to contest markets. Uh, but to do that, you have to preserve the innovation incentives. And to preserve the innovation incentive, mostly we, need, we know that we have also to protect intellectual property rights. We have to understand the entrepreneur rents, which are not necessarily some monopoly rents, as they are most uh, often confused with, uh, but you have to ensure that the dynamic capabilities of the entrepreneur are protected. In order to do so, well, you need to protect intellectual property rights, which are themselves seen as barriers to entry in today's language. The intellectual property rights, but also the accumulation of data, are all seen as barriers to entry rather than being the very incentives of innovators and disruptors. So what we need um, is precisely some principles of dynamic antitrust which fully take into consideration this Hayekian and Schupeterian point of view so that we may talk about dynamic competition, not with a view with, uh, of having some perfect competition uh, in mind, but dynamic competition with an evolutionary perspective where the innovation capabilities of the entrepreneurs and the firms are fully preserved and where we can really have also a due respect for the rule of law, for the evolutionary process, and that is characterized by the law, uh, by the common law process. And as, uh, as soon as we drift away from the common law process, from the evolutionary process, to have more regulatory proposals, then we have a risk, it has been said today, we have a risk of greater regulatory capture, and to have this precautionary logic that applies to very innovative industries and very innovative uh, company, meaning that there will be encompassing prohibitions and some pro-competitive and pro-innovative conduct may be prohibited before they ever arise and innovators may be deterred. Uh, so we need dynamic antitrust and we need a very uh, risk-loving uh, view of antitrust rather than this risk-averse notion that is embedded in the precautionary uh, principle. And so what have we learned, just to, to close on, what have we learned from this 75th anniversary of uh, Hayek's lecture is that we all agree that we need dynamic competition and perfect competition uh, doesn't exist and shouldn't be an ideal uh, model. But although we all speak the same language of dynamic competition, there are now two meanings of competition and the assertive antitrust enforcement across the Atlantic is taking what I give you as a dynamic competition model that is he heavily static and that is still heavily operationalized under the perfect competition assumptions. And we, we need to move away from, from that in order to make sure that the disconnect between the government officials and the entrepreneurs is reduced rather than worsen or widen up, as I think uh, it is uh, probably uh, the case those days. So that's why we need a, a dynamic uh, view of antitrust and we need these principles of dynamic antitrust. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are there any questions for Aurelian? Uh, yes, Renato. Uh, thanks very much, Aurelian. Very, very interesting. I, 
One question about your, your idea of dynamic competition, which I, which I understand is very much linked to dynamic efficiency and innovation. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that in, indeed one of the most concerning things in these new proposals is the absence of efficiencies that feature anywhere. Uh, what, would you, what would you make of a proposal uh, to the effect that, um, okay, you have this regulation, so these prohibitions, et cetera, et cetera, but you have some kind of safe harbor yeah. uh, for conduct which is genuinely efficient, so which is innovation, which is not manifestly designed only to exclude, for example. I mean, you will have to mm. uh, you know, frame a legal test which is somehow workable, but do you think that a safe harbor, an absolute defense of that type right. uh, would be a good idea and uh, address some of the concerns that we have with this uh, proposal? Uh, I think uh, that's uh, that's an, I think it would be an intuitive idea, but I don't think it would be necessarily a good idea to have some safe harbor. Just, mm, I think what I would advocate is for precisely a broad, simple rule of reason without per se or without a necessary safe harbor. Because when you create safe harbor, uh, it creates some per se legality, but then you reinstall these per se rules, which is precisely the opposite of justifications. And I'm very much f uh, in favor of this discursive process of pro discussing the pro-competitive effect of any conduct and the anti-competitive effect of any conduct. As much as I'm against per se illegality as I'm against per se legality because I think that will undermine the rule of reason, uh, the broad generalized rule of reason in antitrust enforcement, but it also will undermine precisely the evolutionary process of the judicial process where debates needs to take place and evidence-based uh, antitrust enforcement is the most important. And safe harbor prevents this evidence, this to bring forward the evidence. And there's always this, um, also safe harbor creates greater risk for regulatory capture, because who is part of the safe harbor, how wide the safe harbor is, and this creates a, a greater uh, prospect for regulatory capture. So I think simple rule uh, tied up with legal certainty with the rule of law rule of reason, I think would be um, the most, uh, most attractive and most intuitive uh, solution. Thank you very much, Aurelian. Uh, thank you.